The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, I want to thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that it is inspired. Thank you, Lord, that it is preserved to this generation. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed me uh, to have a copy, Lord, to have multiple copies of your word, Lord. Some have never heard. I think about the song. I love to tell the old story. For some have never heard. But Lord, I, you've blessed us this morning with the privilege, everybody in this building, Lord, that has a copy of the word of God. Lord, may we not just be hearers of the word, but God, I pray we'd be doers of the word. I pray that you'd speak to every heart today, and I pray that Jesus Christ will be glorified and magnified in all things. What you do, we'll thank you. And we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We have been preaching, as I mentioned, the last several services on the Lord's Day, rather, uh, out of Proverbs 22, using that as kind of a springboard. We've been preaching about the importance of training up our children, uh, more specifically, bringing up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That word, train up, is the same words that Paul will use in Ephesians 6, where he says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The desire that God uh, has for us as parents is that we would raise our children that they might be saved and love the Lord and serve God all the days of their life. We've been mentioning the fact that this little word, train, is not just do as I say and not as I do, but it is a lived out example for your children. In other words, you cannot expect your children uh, to have something in their life as far as spirituality, and you cannot want that for your children if you are not also employing those principles in your life. In other words, don't expect your child to have desire for the house of God and for the things of God if you're not putting that desire in them and they're not seeing that evident in your life. May I ask you a question this morning? Could we as parents look at our children and tell them that we are doing everything in our power and ability to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I believe all of us parents could step up. I'm talking about myself as well, could step up in those areas and be a, somebody said, I want to be a good parent. I want to be a good parent, but I want to be a godly parent. Because a godly parent can lead their children, not just being a hard worker, not just being a good citizen, but I want them to be a good Christian, amen. And I want them to realize they need to be saved and for God to change their life. We have dealt with the subject of we need to train them in the way of salvation. They're not born saved, as I mentioned a moment ago. They are born little devils. That's why we put them in cages. We call them cribs. But I walked in there the other day and Judah's sitting up on her knees holding the bars and like she's in prison. Amen. We put up baby gates. Why? Because they go where they want and they do what they want to and they go where they're at. That's the way they are born. They come from their mother's womb speaking lies. That's the way children are. And we've dealt with salvation. We've dealt with the subject of separation. We dealt last Sunday morning with the sanctuary. And last Sunday night, we walked up Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac. And we looked at the importance of teaching them about sincere worship. Now, let me say this this morning. I do not claim to know it all as a parent. In fact, there's no parent that knows it all. In fact, parents really don't know anything. We're flying by the seat of our britches. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, you may, one child may be a certain way and, and just might be all good, but that next one. 
That next one, amen. I laugh at everybody that has one kid. I laugh at y'all. I mean, I'm not making fun, but I laugh at y'all. Oh, it's so far. You wait till that second one gets here, praise God. And the third one, Lord, help, amen. And I'm sitting back. See, me and Grace, we're younger than most of y'all, but we started having children right after we got married, and so we're done, and y'all are starting. We're watching back and oh, this is going to be fun. I remember when that happened. I remember that. Been there, done that, and we're just saying, man, I'm just telling you the way it is. And so I don't claim to know it all as a parent. In fact, I've learned that people that have great-grandchildren, they'll still stand back and say, I really don't know. But here's what we do have. We have a Bible. And we have the Word of God. And we can look at the Word of God and we can take these principles and we can take these lessons and do our best as in any other area in our life to apply them in our life and apply them to our family. You're going to make mistakes as a parent. You are. You're going you're, you're gonna to make mistakes. You're going to fail. Here's why. Because you are a human. I remember when, when, whenever, whatever COVID is broke out, it was early weeks. Have you heard me tell this? I took Dax and the Sattler to Walmart, and everybody's all picky about touching things and all that stuff. And I look, and Sattler's picking up goldfish off the floor and eating them. He never got COVID. Maybe I should have ate some goldfish off the floor, all right? But I'm just telling you, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have those, what was I thinking? Should have had a V8 moment, all right? You're going to have those times. But I don't want to make those mistakes spiritually. So what if he eats a goldfish off the floor? That's a mistake. We don't want that to happen. We're not going to encourage that. But, but I want to make sure that he's in church. I want to make sure he has a desire for the things of God. And it can't be, hey, young person, you ought to read your Bible, you ought to pray, you ought to go to church. Mom and dad need to be exemplifying that in their life towards their children. I've never raised a garden. Don't plan on raising a garden. I, somebody said, why? I can go down to the produce stand. Save me a lot of time. But here's what I do know. If you're going to plant corn, if you're going to reap corn, you don't plant potatoes. If you're, you're going to reap squash, you don't plant green beans. You plant what you want to reap. Here's the principle that in Galatians, if you sow the flesh, you're the flesh going to reap corruption. If you sow the spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. What are you sowing in your children's life? There's a lot of parents, they sow the flesh. They sow the world. And they're going to reap that. And we understand in this text, this text, this text is not a promise that they'll never go astray, but it is a promise that the way, the way of the Word of God, the way you raise them will never leave them. So this morning, I want to take a further step in 1 Chronicles chapter number 26, a very odd text. But I want to look at a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And I want to look at his family this morning. There's a lot of verses but we can read here, but for sake of time, 1 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse number 8. Look at this verse, please. All that these sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men for strength, for service, was three score and two of Obed Edom. That is six, that word three score and two is sixty-two individuals, meaning sons, grandsons, and nephews that were involved in the service of the Lord, all because of Obed Edom's life. 
Now, we're going to go back and look at Obed-Edom's life, but this morning we've emphasized salvation, we've emphasized the sanctuary, we've emphasized separation and sincere worship. But I tell you, we ought to train up our children in the service of the Lord. I just don't want my children to go to church and, and tip God and go out and that be the end of their life. I want them to serve God all the days of their life. Is that not what Joshua said in Joshua 24 on his dying day? He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That needs to be more than a sign hanging in your kitchen. I'm not against you having that. But it needs to be more than a decoration. But it needs to be a desire in your family's life that by the grace of God, I want my family to serve God all the days of their life. I understand when they get grown and they leave your home, you can't control that. But honey, while they're in your home and while they're under your influence, you ought to train them to serve God. I tell you, it's not a bad thing to serve the Lord. It's an honor to serve God. I tell you, what a privilege, what a joy we have to be involved in the service of our Lord. Let's look at Obed-Edom's life. And before we can do that, we've got to study the context of his life. Back in First Chronicles chapter 13, the context is David is desiring to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, back into Jerusalem. They did not inquire it in the days of Saul. We understand that Ark of the Covenant, it was not a lucky charm, but in that Old Testament dispensation, it was a physical picture of the presence of God. In the side of it, it had a bowl of manna. It had Aaron's rod that budded. It had the tablets of the commandments. It had the mercy seat on top. Collectively, it was a picture of God's presence and God's glory in Israel. And Israel had been without the glory. They had been without the presence of God all during the days of Saul. But thank God for a man by the name of David who had a burden to get God back in his city. Hey, I tell you, we need people to have a burden to get God back in our churches and for God to move in our lives. And David goes and gets that, but David makes mistakes. There's the context, but there's the cart. The Bible said and, and that he made a new cart. And he placed the Ark of the Covenant on that new cart. Now, I ain't got time to read all the verses. We'll be here all day, and we don't want to do that. But in Exodus 24, we know that God had commanded that the Ark of the Covenant was not to be transported on a wagon or on a cart, but there were to be staves that should be ran through those holes. And the Levites were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, for it was holy unto the Lord. But you you know what David did? David did the opposite of that. In fact, when the Philistines that had the Ark of the Covenant, when they sent it back to Jerusalem, you know what they did? They put it on a new cart. And they sent it back with two milk cows. What they done, the milk cows led the Ark of the Covenant back. So I said, Preacher, why was it okay for the Philistines to do that, but not okay for David? Because David knew better, and David had more truth, and David had more light. But I'll tell you what David did. David did what a lot of boys are doing nowadays. They're trying to get the presence of God, so they're using the world's means to try to get the presence of God back in Jerusalem. But you know what happened there? that? There's a catastrophe that happens as they're going along the way. The the oxen stumbles and the ark begins to shake and a man in the name of us we preached on him last year the Bible said he reached out to stay the ark and as soon as he touched that ark God struck us a dead and he died there at Nacon's threshing floor I tell you God did not take kindly to the flesh being connected to his glory by the way he still feels that way God will share his grace with every man God will share his goodness with every man but he will not share his glory glory with any man so there's the context and the cart 
and the catastrophe. And that leads us to the caretaker. The Bible teaches us in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 13. After Uzzah died, so David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. You see, this, this caretaker, Obed-Edom, he is a Gittite. You know what the Gittites were? They were the, the descendants of Gath. You remember Gath? There was a big giant there from Gath. They were Philistines, but he was a proselyte. You know what he had done? He had denied the gods of Philistia. And he had chosen the God, Jehovah, the God of Israel. I want to say three things about Obed-Edom in this text. First of all, we note the embracing of Obed-Edom. Here they've had this horrible catastrophe happen in Israel. Uzzah has died, and they don't know what they're going to do. And all of a sudden there came a knock on Obed-Edom's door. And you know when he opened that door, there was the presence of God. There was the glory of God. I noticed his home was accessible to the ark. You know what happened? Uzzah died right there in Obed-Edom's front yard. So I said, Preacher, what are you saying? I know Obed-Edom was wrong, but I got to think about this this morning. The only reason that the presence of God came to Obed-Edom's house was because somebody died. Hey, man, do you remember Remember that when God come by your way and the only reason he came by where you was at is because his son, Jesus Christ, willingly gave his life for you. His home was accessible in this text. Within the context, the, the surrounding Obed-Edom's house was disobedience. David was being disobedient. There was discouragement. Here they are trying to bring the ark back and God kills Obed-Edom. There was death, but you know what? There was still the presence of God. His home was accessible. I'm telling you, we're living in a day where our homes are surrounded by disobedience and by darkness and by death and discouragement. And if, if there's any time we need God's presence in our home, it's now. His home was accessible. Secondly, his home was available. They come and knock on his door. He didn't say, no, I don't want that thing in my house. Do you see what it done to us? I don't want that thing in my home. Oh no, Obed-Edom willingly and welcomed uh, the Ark of the Covenant into his home. Hey, do you remember the day when God came to your house? Do you remember the day when he come by your way and things changed down at your house? I'm talking about when you got saved. I tell you, Obed-Edom was raised in Gath. He was raised a Philistine with all the false gods. But one day a knock came to his door and his home was never the same after to this day. I tell you, I'm looking at homes this morning that your home was in array. You may not even been married yet. You might not even had a family yet. But the direction your life was going was a bad direction. Oh, but God came to your home and God came by your way. And ever since God came to your house, your house has not been the same. Things have been different. There's been a change that's made. Thank God for a household salvation. That old Philippian jailer looked at Paul and said, 
said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Thank God for a household salvation. I understand everybody in that home had to personally trust Jesus Christ. But here's what Paul was saying. He said, sir, God can save you. God can save your wife. God can save your children. God can save your family. I'm telling you this morning, aren't you glad for the day when God came to your house? I'm grateful for the Saturday morning in the early, in the, in 1970 on a Saturday morning when a man named Jim Eccles went out on a Saturday morning bus visitation and he knocked on a road on Denham Street in Riverdale, Georgia and my papa came to the door. He was saved but not right with God and they said, do you have any kids we can take on the Sunday school bus? He said, well you can take my middle boy, Kenneth and he, my uncle, my, my papa told my uncle Kenneth that morning, he said, well, don't you go down to that church and join it. Well, Kenneth didn't join the church that morning but he got born again that morning and the next Sunday my papa and my mama went and saw Kenneth get baptized got under conviction got right with God and they raised their family in church there's 10 to 12 Montgomery preachers you know what our home has not been the same because there came a knock at our door one Saturday morning and God came to our house his home was accessible his home was available his home was accommodating I don't think he put that Ark of the Covenant in the back closet somewhere. <laughs> I don't think he put that Ark of the Covenant up in the, up in the attic somewhere. I believe he gave it the prominent place in his home. I believe he gave it the preeminence in his house. Why? Oh, it's God. We understand the ark was not God. But to that Jew and in that day and that culture, it represented God. And I'm telling you, God does not need to be back in a closet somewhere. He don't need to be put up in an attic somewhere. But he ought to have the preeminence, not just at the house of God, but he ought to have the preeminence down at your house too. Amen. <coughs> I saw the shavings I've been swallowing this week. Amen. I tell you, ought to have the preeminence at your home. This story, my generation won't get this story. But some of you older folks remember the preacher, we'll get this, the preacher was visiting a family one day and he looked at the sister and said, well, sister, uh, I, older lady said, sister, I didn't bring my Bible today, but I'd like to, like to read you some verses. Do you, may I borrow your Bible? She said, oh, yes, preacher. She looked at her grandchild and she, she's trying to be spiritual. She said, honey, go in there and get the book that this family loves so much. And he come back with a TV guide. How many of y'all old enough to remember TV guides? All right, let's make sure anybody remembers that. Ain't that sad way it is now that, 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 that the preeminence is on other things instead of the house of God and the Word of God? But I don't believe Obed-Edom put God in the back closet somewhere. You know why? Because God blessed his home and God blesses the blessable. I'll tell you, Obed-Edom said, hey kids, you gather around. Ain't it amazing out of all the homes God could have put his presence. See, hey, y'all getting a hold of this? Out of all the homes God could have come to, he come to our home. He come to our family. He come to our house. Oh, that Edom embraced the presence of God. His home was affected by this. The Bible said, so the Lord blessed the house of Obed Edom. Mace Jackson said that means his chicken laid triple yolk eggs. He said it means, it, it means that his crops grew better. It means his kids got straight A's in school. It means that his favorite football team won every game. He must have been a Georgia fan. I'm just telling you, it means God blessed everything in his home. Somebody said, well, preacher, God ain't blessed everything in my home. You know, we're good about complaining, ain't we? And we don't deserve what we have. God's blessed. You know, many of us this morning, 
we're probably middle class to low middle class. For the most part, we are, except for Charles. <laughs> He's upper class. He's way up there, amen. I'll tell you why later, amen. Inside joke. We know why he's got them mason jars now, amen. Not making moonshine, I mean, you know. It's where you, inside joke. We're, all, we're, we're not rich people here this morning. Most all of us live week to week, check to check, don't we? That's just the way we are, that's the way life is. But you know what? We have what we need. And, and you realize that we live better than some politicians in third world countries. God's been good to us. God has blessed us. God's been kind to us. And you know why? Because I believe God blesses the blessable. God will bless you if you'll give Him the preeminence in your home. God will honor you. I've been preaching 20 minutes, but I didn't preach Wednesday night, and I ain't preaching this Wednesday night. So we can can go to 12 o'clock, can't we? That gives me 20 more minutes. I ain't preached 40 minutes since the last time I preached 40 minutes. Amen. I'll tell you, that's why you honor God with that first and that paycheck. Somebody said, do I tithe off the gross or off the net? Do you want net blessings or gross blessings? Amen. I believe you ought to tithe. Amen. He deserves the preeminence. Amen. Amen. If you're not tithing, you're a God robber. Will a man rob God? You better believe he will. Amen. How do you rob me? He said, in tithes and in offerings. Amen. I'm telling you this morning, you ought to be faithful in your tithing. And I'm, I'm, I know you are, but I want to encourage you. If you ain't, I hope the shame you. You get right with God and you start tithing. Amen. God will get his money one way or the other. You ought to tithe. Amen. I, I tell you this morning, you ought to honor him uh, with, with your time. Amen. You know what's sad? All of us pick this up in the morning first before we pick this up, don't we? Don't look at me like that. That's the way we are, ain't we? We ought to have the preeminence. And by the way, we don't pick this up to read the Bible either. Oh, we're reading a book, but it ain't the book. Amen. Amen. That's right. You're, you're good. Amen. What I'm saying this morning, you ought to have the preeminence. The embracing of Obed-Edom. Secondly, the engaging of Obed-Edom. The ark of God remained at Obed-Edom's home for three months, according to our text. But just for three months... Because David had to go back and read the law to figure out how God wanted the ark to transport it. David goes and figures it out and says, Voila! The light went off in his head. And he come and got that ark out of Obed-Edom's house. Now, Obed-Edom sees the blessings of God. You know what he's saying? Get a hold of this now. My family's not been the same since that, since that thing came to my house. How many of you can testify that your home's not been the same since Jesus came to your house? I tell you, this morning made a difference. Old Mel, you sing that song, Thanks to Calvary, we don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than they were before. Everything in our life changed when you come to our house. Would you agree with that? Here's Obed-Edom. He sees that art leaving. He's like, I, I don't want it to leave. I don't want God to leave my home. I can't keep it. But I can go with it. It's what he does. You read. I ain't got time to read all the verses, but I haven't written down. If you want them, I'll give them to you. But watch this about Obed-Edom and his engaging. Where the ark went, he went. He went, he went, first of all, he wanted to sing to it. 
First Chronicles 15, verse 16. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries, hearts, and cymbals, sounding by lifting up their voice with joy. He, you know what David said? David said, I need some people that'll sing to this ark and give God glory. And I see a man in the back raise his hand and said, David, I'd be glad to do that. If you look down in First Chronicles 15 and verse number 18, it gives a list of all the singers. And you know whose name you find in there? Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. He said, it may not stay at my house, but I'm going to go where it goes. I'm going to follow where it goes. Amen. I tell you, he wanted to sing to it. Hey, God's people's always been a singing people. Remember, we're trying to emphasize the importance of training our children. Hey, I'm going to tell you this morning, you ought to, and I wish my kids would sing. Amen. I wish they would. Judas pulling up already and standing up. I said, finally, a smart one. Amen. I love you, boys. But what I'm, what I'm telling you, I, I want them to sing, but here's the thing. They sing at home. They just won't sing up here. But you know what they're saying? They ain't singing. All my exes live in Texas. Amen. They ain't, they ain't they're singing. They fight. Because Sartre wants to sing Jesus Loves Me and Dax wants to sing at Calvary and they have fist fights over it. Like real spiritual there, guys. Jesus Loves Me at Calvary, I'm going to whoop you for it. Dax said, you know what I want for Christmas? Boxing gloves so me and Sartre can just go at it. I'm going to buy them, amen. I'm going to buy them, amen. I'm going to buy Judah a pair too. She'll whoop them both, all right? But I'm just, I'm just telling you this morning that we ought to train them to sing. I love Daxton. Daxton can read a little bit, but he can't read all the words in a song book, but he's got a song book and he's looking for the page number. I don't know if Eric is helping Daxton or Daxton's helping Eric find the page number, but they're both working together, and I appreciate they're collected. But you know what they're doing? We're training them. You hold a song book when you sing, and you, and you look at the words. A amen. We train them in that. But then Obed-Edom, we're preaching on this. He wanted to serve, First Chronicles 15, 24. And Sheba and Jehoshaphat and Nethanel and Amasai and Zechariah and Benaiah and Eliezer the priest did blow trumpets before the ark of God. And Obed-Edom and Janiah were doorkeepers for the ark. So I said, what does a doorkeeper mean? Watch this, it's going to be deep. Ark was coming by, you know what Obed-Edom did? So I said, that ain't much. But Obed-Edom wanted to do it. And I'm reminded of what David said. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. In the house of my God. You know what he's doing? Doors have to be opened. He said, that ain't much, but I can do that. It may have been that Obed-Edom wasn't a good singer. And David said, hey, David, Obed-Edom, I love you, man. But you know, I don't know if he was or not. <laughs> but Obed-Edom said, well, if I can't sing, I can open a door. I can do that. You know what he did? He found something. He could, you know what it tells me? Everybody can do something at church. Everybody can be involved. I'm taking Dax into the Braves game in September. I don't, and, and we're excited about going, but the one thing I won't like about it is they won't let me play. I hate going to be a spectator. I want to get involved. I'd get my lunch eaten, but I'd have a good time doing it, all right? I want to get involved. I, and, but sadly, people want to come to church and sit on the sidelines and not get involved. They don't give. They don't sing. They don't testify. Hey, some of y'all was having a heart attack when we was doing them testimonies the other night saying, please, Lord, don't let them nominate me. Oh, we're going to get you. <laughs> Amen. You better have something ready. We're going to do that again tonight. Well, that just, that just done away with the Sunday night crowd right there. <laughs> I'd, I'd hate to know that I was scared to speak up for the Lord. Amen. But, 
but you'll, but you'll speak for your favorite political candidate or you'll talk about your grandson or, or whatever it is, but you won't talk about the Lord. Amen, that's right. I'm telling you, he wanted to serve, but then he wanted to stay. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse number, let's see, verse number 37. So he, speaking of David, left there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Asaph, and his brethren to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with their brethren, threescore and eight, Obed-Edom the son of Jethan and Hosea to be the porters. David walks away, goes back to the palace, but Obed-Edom stays. I know, I know David had to go back to his role as a king and serve in the nation of Israel, but here's the principle. When others walk, walked away after the big celebration was over, I mean, they're shouting, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, all the singing, all the shouting, people holding up doors, sacrifices being made every six paces. David leaves. Obed-Edom don't leave. When the big revival was over, it, it always cracked me up years ago. We, we had a good brother here preaching a meeting, and we always had the same crowd. They'd always get spiritual when this guy come and preached. It wasn't the preacher's fault. But it's just this crowd, they were so spiritually immature, they could only eat out of, out of, out of they was, it was them, you know them matches, they only strike on their own box? That's where they were. And they'd only get spiritual, and he ain't never preached at the church where they go, so I guess they ain't getting nothing now anyway. But what I'm telling you, that ought not be where it is. When, other, when the big revival's over and people walk away and, and the excitement's over, y'all be able to have some consistency. And that leads to my last point, there's the example of Obed-Edom. I've already emphasized this, but I've got to say these two things to get where I want to go and I'm done. We see his service had commitment. He exemplified commitment. We've done emphasize that his service exemplified consistency. If you're going to serve in that temple, you can't be inconsistent. Now, pastors are funny people. I ain't getting nothing right there. I was waiting for that. We all have different philosophies of ministries. I can't help that all the other guys are wrong and I'm right. I can't help that. But I know some pastors that have the mentality, and I, I saw a preacher write this on Facebook the other day, and I was agreeing with him. I'm like, that's exactly right. You don't give somebody a job to make them faithful. You don't give an unfaithful person a job to make them faithful. You know why? If they was unfaithful, when you give them a job, you're just going to have a gap in your service now. Amen. We don't find somebody to be a Sunday school teacher or to serve in a position in the church that's only here on Sunday mornings in a blue moon. If you're inconsistent, you ain't going to do much around here. Why? You know why? We don't know if you're going to be here or not. God, and that way God operates that way. God don't give you jobs to make you faithful. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying they're not right. But anyway... God is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What did Paul say? He counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. If you'll be faithful over the little things, God will give you something. Our, our young preachers, uh, uh, Brother Richie got a burden uh, for the nursing home ministry. And, and he took that initiative and he started that. And I'll tell you, we, we went last month. It's the best nursing home service I've ever been in. It was better than some service we've had here. I mean, it's a good spirit. We're going to lock y'all up in our home for a week and see if y'all are doing any better. In fact, we're going next Sunday at 2.30. I'd like for some of y'all to go with us. Well, i got to get my nap. I ain't never got a nap on a Sunday afternoon in 10 years. You don't need a nap. You can come and be a blessing to somebody and sing. Amen. Brother Rich is going to be preaching. The guys are going to be rotating this eventually. But Brother Rich has got the burden. He's going to preach the first few of them and, and take part in that. But I told, I told him, I said, uh, I'm preaching for a man in two weeks. 
that they had a nursing home ministry and and I don't think they can do this now because of COVID, but they went every Sunday morning at 8.30. And they had revivals at that nursing home. They brought, I went and preached down there one time for the revivals. They would bring their choir over. They would have, they would do things. They, they, he said, I wasn't their pastor, but I just saw an opportunity to minister. You know that boy's pastoring his home church now? The other guy was Pastor Lawson. That was Brother Michael's pastor and Miss Ashley's pastor before they came here. And I told both of them when I preached for them, I said, God's going to use y'all one day. And God, you, why? You be faithful in the little things. Ain't that what Jesus said in that parable? Thou hast been faithful in a few things, I'll make you rule over many. Thank God for Obed-Ian. He's just faithful. Holding the door, standing there watching, doing whatever needed to be done. His service was consistent, committed. But you know what his service was? And this is the whole point of our message. It was contagious. Remember what we read back in our text? 1 Chronicles 26, the sons of Obed-Edom were involved as the porters of the Korhites, which were those who were the, the Levites who were in charge of the temple services. They were in charge of making sure everything at the temple went on. You know where they were spoken now, we understand they're in the temple, but when they was out there in that wilderness, Brother Richie, you know where the Levites and the Kohorthites, you know where their tents were at? It was around the tabernacle. Their life literally revolved around the tabernacle. Well, Obed-Edom, was it really worth it? Well, he's got 62 descendants in our text that were in the temple actively serving God. I didn't say six. That would been a blessing. I didn't say 16. That had been really good. 62 sons and grandsons. They're doing what granddaddy did and doing what daddy did. Why are they doing that? Because God came to their house one day. And daddy was never the same and grandpa was never the same. And you know what they'll say? They'll say, you know, we, we wasn't there when that ark came to papa's house, but we saw how he lived. And we saw how he was faithful and he held that door and, 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 and papa wasn't a great singer, but if David needs somebody to sing, he sang. I tell you, he's just a blessing. And you know what? If it was good enough for papa, if it was good enough for my daddy, it's good enough for me. And so the sons, their sons of Obed-Edom, they, they even got involved. But you know what happened? Their grandsons got involved. You know what? It was a family affair. I'm done with this. I, I, I've got their names of their sons. You ought to look up, you ought to go home and look up a Bible dictionary of the names of these boys. <laughs> Jehovah has, I ain't got all the names, but here's some of the definitions of their names. One of them's name means Jehovah has heard. The other one means Jehovah has blessed. The other one means uh, it pays to serve God. The other one means my kinsman is of God. The other one, uh, one of his grandson's name means he is my God. Well, one of the other grandson means his name means Jehovah has sustained. I'd say that he trained up his children in the way they should go. And these boys, when they got old, they did not depart. Thank God for that. I got five minutes. And I ain't going to use it all. What are we doing as parents to train our children to serve God? I had Daxon out in the yard yesterday playing ball. Had him hitting ground balls. And I'd be an awful little league coach. But I, I can't handle whining. He was whining. I'm like, I'm, you know. I'm, he said, you tried to hit me. I'm like, well, hit, you got a piece of leather on your hand. Catch the ball. It's not hard. But I, I had him. 
I had him down on his knees, and we was, I was hitting ground balls to him and all that. I, I was trying to teach him how to, how to keep his eye on the ball. He's got this thing right now where I throw the ball, he wants to catch it with a glove like this. I said, that's a good way to work at Waffle House. That ball's going to roll up and hit you in the mouth. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm doing? I'm out there training him. And I, 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 I got my tee, and I said, hit. I said, I got out there, I said, hit. I said, I want you to watch how I use both hands to get in front of the ball. I'm training him, I'm teaching him. But if I teach him how to catch a ball, how to throw a ball, which he needs to work on, how to hit, if I teach him all that, he becomes a great ball player. But I don't teach him how to read the Bible, and I don't teach him how to pray, and I don't teach him how to serve God and love the Lord. I am a failure as a parent. God did not give me these boys to raise ball players. God didn't give you your kids to raise athletes and superstars. God gave you children to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Daxon, you know Daddy loves baseball, and I love football. But I want you to know that Daddy loves Jesus more than that. And Daddy loves church more than that, because at the end of the day, that stuff don't matter. It don't. There's nothing wrong with a kid playing ball. I think a kid ought to play ball. It gets him outside. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, we as parents, if we're not careful, I saw a thing the other day that said you ought to treat church and bring your children to church like they can get a scholarship for it. That's what all parents want. One scholarship, scholarship, scholarship. Yeah, I never had a scholarship. I guess you can tell. But I know what church is. I know who God is. And I ain't too brilliant, but I got a little bit of education in that Bible. You know how that happens? Because my daddy and my mama trained me. And you know what that means? That means they showed me. You know how, and we said when the series started, you know why America's in the shape she's in? Because somewhere along the way, parents quit training their children. They quit being an example. And it became, do as I say and not as I do. Don't amen the preacher in front of your children and then go live another lifestyle and they see the hypocrisy. You know what it does? You may not think, but they hear more than you think they do. And they catch on things. I'm going to tell you, us as parents, we better remember the day that God came to our house. Now, I don't remember that day because it happened in 1970. God's always been in my house. Just like them grandsons of Obed-Edom. I'm not picking on you, but there was a day when God came to the Henson house. But that boy will never know about that day. And that, hopefully, little girl, little boy, whatever God gives you, will never know about that day. It became a day. You remember that day when God came to your house? God come to your family? God invaded your world? I tell you, it pays to serve God. I see, come on, brother Matt. I see Obed-Edom. He's an old man. Obviously, I mean, uh, my grandpa died... Uh, one of my died when I was 12 the other one died when I was 25 but my grandpa got to live to see me long enough to pastor a church and preach meetings so no doubt Obed-Edom probably lived long enough to see his grandsons out there working in the temple you know what Obed-Edom probably thought I bet he didn't say boy I wish I hadn't given so much to God I wish I hadn't given God such preeminence no no no, no I bet he didn't I bet he was saying thank God you realize 
that you could start a family heritage in your home today and raise your children to serve the Lord. May God help us to train up our children in the service of the Lord. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention. I kept my word. 39 minutes. Heads bowed and her eyes closed.